Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You, know, you watch Dak Prescott play quarterback the last few years. He's not afraid to lower his shoulder or try to run over middle linebackers, you know, dive into the end zone, get slipped, do those things, let alone, you know, his butt and legs are top notch. I'm a big legs and butt guy. Not going to have a leg and ass like him. Damn. I mean, I wish I was built like you too. Gosh, damn, you're strong. <laughs> I mean, legs and ass everywhere. That's Chris Sims with Dak Prescott. And there it is. The side eye has been transformed into the background for the Chris Sims Top 40 Countdown. And this is the right day to do it because number four is number eight on the list. Dak Prescott cracking the top 10. He was number 13 last year, which is no small feat. But now as he enters that franchise tag year and the big news from yesterday, he will be signing the franchise tag. He'll be under contract for $31.4 million, and he'll enter the season as number eight on the Chris Sims Top 40 Countdown. Uh, Let's talk first for a second about the decision to sign the franchise tag before we get into why you made him number eight, Chris. We talked about this last hour. I think the most important takeaway is it frames the issue for the negotiation that will culminate with a long-term deal or not by 4 p.m. Eastern on July 15. It's a deadline-driven business. Both sides will move toward their actual bottom line, whatever it may be, as we get closer to the 15th. The negotiations probably begin in earnest after the 4th of July holiday, and they either get it done or they don't. But now, the any talk, any option, any possibility, any bluster that they would yank the franchise tag and make him a free agent at a time when everyone's got their depth charts set, everyone's worried about their budgets, there's no way he's getting 31-4 from anyone else in July, uh, that's gone. You sign the tender, you're locked in, and now the question is, what will they offer him, and will it be enough for him to say, I'll give up 31.4 this year, the opportunity to make 37.68 next year, the opportunity to become a free agent the following year, what will they give him to get him, can they get him to say, 
fine, I'll trade in the rights that I have. That's the question for July 15th. Yeah, that is the big question. I mean, we know, yes, there's discrepancies on whether, you know, the team wants five years, he wants four years. You know, can they give him enough guaranteed money in the first few years of his contract to go, okay, that's worth it to, you know, wipe away my right to be a franchise tag player this year and next year and get that $69.1 million and all that. So, yeah, the number's going to have to be right for him for him to feel good about and also for him to feel like, okay, this protects me in case something was to happen to me playing football this year or sometimes in the next two years to where, you know, I'm financially protected that way. It makes, makes total sense. You know, where it goes from here, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, again, I think Dak Prescott, you made a lot of good points in the first hour, but I, we both didn't think he would hold out in training camp. So what's the point of holding out and signing this franchise tag tender? You're going to be there. You're the leader of the team. You want to learn the new offense and be around the new coach. So get that done. And also, I think it does protect you just in case. You know, I, I do find it kind of like coincidental or not coincidental, I should say, that a few players got hurt working out last week. And then here's a Dak Prescott going, you know what? I'm starting to work out pretty aggressively here myself, too. Why don't I um, sign this thing just in case I you know, did have some sort of injury that derailed the year for me and, and have that financial security as well. But, you know, and I don't want to get down this rabbit hole too far, yeah. but to the extent that the virtual offseason programs are over, if he's working out on his own completely and entirely, if he would suffer that injury, in theory, in theory, they could put him on the non-football injury I know list they and could. not pay him. Right. Although, for the most part, teams, if it's a guy who is exercising in the offseason, it's one thing if he's driving a motorcycle without a helmet or doing something dangerous, right. skydiving, hang gliding, he gets injured. That's different. But... If you're if you're actually trying to make yourself better, it's very hard for a team to justify saying no, we don't have to pay you. But point taken, he's under contract once he accepts it officially. The money's guaranteed, and then the question becomes, what will they offer him along the lines of a long-term deal to get him to trade in that bird in his hand? And the bird in the hand has grown fat on the seeds of delay because the Cowboys have waited too long to get to the point where they were serious about trying to sign him. All right. When they do sign him, if they do sign him, whether it's one year or multiple years, he's a top 10 guy. He's number eight on your list. Tell us why you put him in that spot. Well, yeah, he is a top 10 guy, you know, and he's big physical presence on the football field. You know, I mean, first off, the one thing that jumps out to me, Mike, too, again, is, hey, we know he's one of the best deep ball throwers in football. And when you watch it and you really watch back the way he played last year, man, he doesn't miss deep ball completions or the the opportunities that are there. He's usually on the screws with the throws. And then, you know, for a guy, again, to where we go, well, he's got a good offensive line and got some talent around him and those things, I understand that. But, you know, first off, we don't dock Patrick Mahomes because he has Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey around him. You know, I, I just – I don't like how the public plays this game sometimes with some players and not others. Yeah, I know Patrick Mahomes is awesome, but he's got awesome players around him too. Yeah, Dak Prescott's got some good players around him. But he's still down at this point of his career and where they are. He is the driving force of the Dallas Cowboy offense. He is the go-to guy. And just can't tell you how many times, hey, listen, we've all talked and dissected the Cowboys offense over the last two years. And yet last year it was better. But still, it was better a lot because of Dak Prescott, too. His ability to be accurate and make big throws, stand in the pocket. Of course, like a Cam Newton, Mike, and you've seen Dak Prescott, you know, he's not as big as Cam Newton, but he's still one of those guys when he walks the room, you go, damn, look at that guy. That's a quarterback. 
and then his ability to run. But I think two Micah jumped off to me more a lot is, you know, again, another guy when nothing was there, he makes a lot happen when nothing's there. It might not look as sexy as a Patrick Mahomes or some other quarterbacks. It might be a little more subtle of stepping in the pocket and just taking two or three steps to the right and making a throw on the run. And he's not scrambling around like a maniac, but still very effective and really makes a lot of plays that way, too. And, you know, the grass isn't always greener. Dak Prescott's a top 10 quarterback, and the Dallas Cowboys should be very happy about that. You said a lot there, and one thing I want to go back to, you said Patrick Mahomes doesn't get knocked for having Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey. There still is a fundamental difference between Patrick Mahomes and pretty much yes. every other quarterback. But that, yes. that, that's, you know, I'm... I mean, D Dak Prescott isn't the guy that we're going to have the highlight reel that we ooh and awe over. It's more of a meat and potatoes, grind it out, but still get it done type of a quarterback. Yes, exactly right. And I'm not trying to, you know, to, to, to clarify that. You're right. I'm not trying. Mahomes is special. We know that. But all I'm just trying to say is, you know, one time that when I start to look through my social media, it's, oh, he has Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, he has Amari Cooper. Oh, he has an offensive line. Listen, there's a lot of good quarterbacks throughout history and right now that I could show you and go, yeah, they're good, and they got unbelievable support around them, and they're not playing as well as Dak Prescott. Or maybe they are playing a little bit better, and I'll go, yeah, well, they might be better, and maybe we'll be talking about them later today or some point in this week as far as you know, guys that are in my top seven quarterbacks. But uh, I, I just don't like that sometimes, that excuse for Prescott. And, I, you know, let's talk about the other elephant in the room, right? Because I hear this, and I know we brought it up today. Oh, well, they might be able to do the same stuff with Andy Dalton. Maybe they should run with him as the quarterback. No, they cannot. Andy Dalton can't make the plays off schedule. Andy Dalton is not as good a deep ball a thrower. Andy Dalton's certainly not the athlete that Dak Prescott is. And Andy Dalton does not have the clutch end of the game just DNA factor to me that, that Dak Prescott has. Dak Prescott is like dangerously getting into that. If he's got the ball late in the game, they're going to score. He's kind of gotten to that point. And I think, I don't know why, but he kind of gets pushed under the rug as far as that type of quarterback is concerned. Maybe I'm wrong, Mike. Maybe you don't agree with my take. But remember, we had that dividing line right around Kirk Cousins at 13 and Kyler Murray at 12. The guys who can make things happen when the play that's called in the huddle falls apart. A lot of guys at Cousins and below, when it falls apart, that's it. They're done. They can't improvise. They can't move on. They lack the athleticism to basically come up with the second act of the play on the fly. Prescott, you're saying, is a guy who can make that happen. And look, I, one thing that impressed me about him early in his career and I, it was a Monday night game against the Cardinals. He throws, you know, we talk about guys who throw on the run. He throws on the sprint. I mean, when he goes out of the pocket, he will take off, and he can throw accurately while he's running full speed. There aren't a lot of guys that can do that. No, Mike, you know, it's, it's, I remember you saying that. Yeah, I, think, I can't remember if it was a Thursday night game or a Monday night game, but you're, first off, he's phenomenal on the run. And he does have legit speed. Like, yeah, he's not Lamar Jackson or maybe Russell Wilson running the football, but he's not far behind it. You know, he really is special that way. That's where I just go, yeah, Dak Prescott is a top 10 quarterback to me all the way because I don't really see a weakness in his football game. 
There's nothing there. You know, I, you know, are there things that he's bet more, you know, stronger at and a little weaker at? Certainly. Okay. But I don't sit there and there's not one thing I can point to right now in Dak Prescott's game and go, man, if that doesn't get better, I'm not so sure how much longer he'll be able to stand in there and be a quarterback, a starting quarterback in the NFL. I don't see any of that. All I see is like refining your game. You can get better, let alone Mike. Again, here's another guy that we've talked about the physical attributes. And I think, you know, enough people in football and I do too. He does all the other things too, that make a quarterback special on a, on a team as well. You know, the leadership, the work ethic, not afraid to take blame. He truly is the real leader that way, and uh, I, I respect him. And, of course, I think he brings something to his team that way, too, especially in Dallas where it's a lot of stars and fanfare. And, you know, he kind of blends in and, and is not necessarily a, a focal or a, a lead figure all the time as far as taking attention away from everybody. Let me ask you this before we look at some evidence of Dak Prescott and how his game has changed. When he was a rookie – when it was looking like he was going to be playing, his Mississippi State head coach was on this program and used one of the narratives that you will cringe over and that will get us fined if we're the ones who are actually saying it. He's a winner. All right. Here's the thing. Last year they were eight and eight and he played well enough to get to number eight, but he didn't play well enough to get to win number nine. How much of that is a factor in your assessment of him? Well, I mean, you know, again, I don't always get obsessed with that. You know, one person is responsible for everything on the field. You know, hey, there we go. We can look at the two of the last three weeks of the year. I mean, they've scored 44 points against the Rams when they were still in playoff contention. You know, the next week, yeah, they laid an egg against the Philadelphia Eagles. Then in week 17, they played the Washington Redskins and they put up 47 points again you know, to hopefully maybe get squeak, squeak away into the playoffs or whatever it may be. But I think there was more issues in Dallas last year than Dak Prescott, certainly. I mean, that team had, you know, underperforming talent across the roster. And I think that's why we saw a coaching change. And there was some coaching issues and some fundamental issues that way, as far as I think how games and game plans were approached, you know, towards the end of the year. And they underperformed last year. There's no doubt about that, but I'm not blaming Dak Prescott. He's not responsible for that. He played about as good as he could play, and uh, I think you're just, we're going to continue to see him go up in, the, in the, the upward trajectory here as we go on. And we've seen him change. We've seen him improve. We've seen him get better from the moment he was thrust into that starting job when Tony Romo was injured in 2016. Chris, you've taken a look at his throwing motion and how it's changed from year one to year four. Let's take a look at what you've seen. Well, I think if you look on the left, that's his rookie year. On the right's this past year. More of a base as a player now at the quarterback position. You can certainly see he keeps his legs bent and keeps them underneath them a little bit more. And on the left, you know, as he throws, if anybody will continue to watch this and you watch the one where he's in his white jersey on the left, look at his left leg as he throws. It almost goes backwards and it locks out. And this is the thing. I've had a conversation with him about this. First off, it leads to the ball going all over the place. A lot of the times it can lead the ball to nose diving into the ground a lot. And I had a talk with him this past year at the Super Bowl about this specific thing because he says, yes, it's one of those bad habits he falls into, but he's corrected it. And we've seen how, hey, he's obsessive. He does some of those drills before the game and things like that, but it's made him a better thrower, let alone, Mike, 
You don't want to lock your front leg out when you're in a pocket with a bunch of 300 pounders around you. Because if your leg's locked out and one guy falls on that ankle or knee, that front leg, man, it's going to be a high ankle sprain or a torn ACL or whatever it may be. So he's done a good job paying attention to his mechanics and applying them on the field. And I do think it's made him a more efficient passer here at this point of his career than he was three years ago. And Chris, I'll also say this, and this is from things I've learned working with you on a practice field. If you let your left foot stray out like that, you're not going to be able to do the shoulder thing where you aim the shoulder, right? The ball's going to go where the shoulder's going. If you're in, if you're in a posture where your foot is going out, you're, you're necessarily not in that, that preferred positioning where your shoulder is pointing at where you're throwing the ball. No doubt about it. It's going to lead you to, you know, you don't know where the rest of your body's going. And then you're relying purely on talent all the time. And, you know, hey, there's days as a quarterback, you go out there and you go, man, I don't got it today. I don't know what it is. I just can't throw strikes everywhere I want to. That's when technique comes comes back to play where you start to go, okay, wait, let me get back to my techniques here. All right, even though I'm not having my best day throwing the football, I don't feel my greatest. If I can rely on my techniques and still complete all the passes and, you know, to just the normal eye, they can't tell a difference, then, okay, I've done my job. And I think Prescott's at the point of his career where even on a bad day, he's still really good. But uh, I think he's a special quarterback, obviously. I think he's a top 10 quarterback. I think Dallas has somebody there that they know they want for a long, long time. And that's why you've seen Dallas stand behind him, Jerry Jones, and they're still going through this contract thing. Because I think they know the guy's got everything you want to be the guy for the next eight to 10 years for your franchise. And you don't even have to worry about it. And he's going to handle himself correctly on and off the field. And that dance he did, that workout from before the Sunday night game against the Vikings, it became a meme. But when you look at the importance of keeping your hips in the right spot and stepping not right. watch the left foot. It's not yeah. doing what it did in 2016. He's he's keeping that base and uh, and entertaining a nation while he does so. <laughs> yes, and there's and there's, and there's, Zeke. Zeke, doing it there's too. Zeke. He's not as good at it. No, he's not as good at it. But you know, again, as you know, that that is a huge part of the game at quarterback is being able to create those opposites from the top to the bottom. I've seen Brady do that in his free time, and of course, Dak Prescott does it before every game. But that's that golf analogy there once again, you know, creating that 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 torque between the upper and lower body with keeping the feet in the right positions really allows the body to do a lot of the work and not let the arm have to work as what I would call an independent contractor, where then you're throwing all arm all the time. And that usually leads to issues and inconsistencies and things like that. But, you know, Prescott mentally, physically, nothing about his game that I don't like. I mean, I really like it all, let alone who he is on and off the field, leadership-wise, humble, work ethic. I think it's all there. That's why I want to see him get paid. And uh, I think he's a guy that we're going to be talking about here in the top 10 for, for the next few years, that's for sure. All right, we're going to take a break from number eight to number seven. And when you hear who it is, you're initially going to say, really? Then you're going to think about it, and you're going to say, really? Number seven gets unveiled next here on PFT Live. All right, we have counted them down or up, as the case may be, from 40 all the way to number eight. Seven remain. Seven of the truly elite 
quarterbacks, not to take any away from Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, and Cam Newton, they're also in the top ten, but there's something about seven. And the top seven begins with Dak, not Dak Prescott, Matt Ryan. Do we have, I'm waiting for the graphic. I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for Chris Sims getting beamed with a wiffle ball. I'm waiting for that so we can unveil Matt Ryan. (laughs) Well, Either way, there he is. There's evil Roger Goodell's twin, and there was a wiffle ball, you jerks in the control room. Thank you very much for that. But yes, Matt Ryan will be my number seven quarterback. Matt Ryan, I mean, hey, he's a little rare or different, Mike, than maybe some of the guys we've talked about in the top 10 already, right? He's a little bit more of that mold of, you know, dissect the defense like a Breeze, a Brady, a Kirk Cousins, and Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to do it with my brain and really quick decisions and accurate throws and get the ball out of my hand. Not necessarily a guy that you look at like a physical Adonis to where you go, oh, he's going to make throw lasers all over the field and break tackles and run and do things like that. No, but he has a nice blend of both. And I think, yes, he has more of a blend of being able to dissect you like a breezer or a Brady. But I think the one thing, Mike, too, again, here's another guy where won an MVP in 20, 2016. I get that. Had the benefit of Kyle Shanahan getting people wide open from for him all over the field. I honestly think he's been better ever since that year. I think that year was made easy for him. He just went, what, he's open? Sure, Kyle, I'll throw to him. Bam. That support has not been there the last few years. Lack of a running game. See ya. Gone. Offensive line, it sucks in Atlanta, or it has. Sorry for the bad word, but that's actually a good word for me, all right? And then a defense that's been ravaged by injury the last two years to where basically Matt Ryan every week is like, hey, Matty Ice, uh, you got to score 30 today. You got to throw for 350 and three touchdowns. You could throw one interception, but if you don't do that, we have no chance of winning the football game. I mean, that's really what it's become in Atlanta the last two years with Matt Ryan, and I give him a lot of credit. I mean, I really do. To me, Mike, the more, the more impressive thing about Matt Ryan is, again, you know I'm big on when there's nothing there or off schedule or the pass protection's bad. Can you make the offense still go? And he's really, it's sneaky, you know, ugly looking at times, like white man can't jump, you know, uh, from, from that movie where you just go, it don't look pretty, but man, it keeps going in the basket and he keeps making people miss and move and make plays like that. Well, same thing. I mean, Matt Ryan... Yeah, it's ugly and gangly in the pocket, and he scrambles and does all kinds of crazy things. But you just, you'd be damned if you went back and we watched film together how many great throws and plays he makes when things do break down. So he's really got it all from that standpoint. Skills, physical skills are not like eye popping, but knows how to play the position, got a lot of experience, and a better athlete than people give him credit for. Yeah, and look, quietly, he is working his way up the all time lists for example he is number 10 all-time in passing yardage number 10 with 51,186 completion percentage fourth touchdown passes 321 11th he's been around since 2008 but you get the feeling he's gonna just keep going and going quietly going about his business racking up yardage racking up touchdowns racking up stats and and putting the icing on a Hall of Fame career. He's got a regular season MVP. He should have had a Super Bowl championship, possibly Super Bowl MVP. We know how that went. And if I really wanted to be a jerk, I would have said, you know, before you started counting down your list, I would have guessed that Matt Ryan would fall somewhere between 28 and 3, but I didn't do that, and he did fall between 28 and 3. But 
how how differently would we perceive him if they had won that game and he had beaten Tom Brady head to head? Yeah, I think it would be like uh, that would have been a career defining moment. I think we would be going no doubt Matt Ryan's going to the Hall of Fame. Maybe he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, right now, you know, I think we think yeah, he's he's on that cusp of wait, he's really good. He's won an MVP, a lot of playoff games. Man, they've been good ever since he's been there. I think some people are going to look for more of a playoff resume. And then, of course, the modern-day inflation of numbers and stats as compared to the old days. Hey, yeah, that's going to be a conversation too. But, yeah, I think ultimately he, he will be an, uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback just because of some of the numbers, the wins, the things like that. They'll be kind of undeniable. You know, and uh, you're right. I think, though, if he does win that Super Bowl, it's like hands down first ballot Hall of Famer and maybe more in the lures of one of the greats of all time, you know, in that kind of combo. Not saying top five or top ten, but in that combo. And that's that's not there now. How old do you think he is? I think I'm going to say he is 32. He's 35. He Man. just turned 35 last month. I know that stunned me. So we got to ask ourselves how much more does yeah. he have left? How much more can he do? Now, he's only 10,000 yards away from catching Dan Marino. He'll likely do that. It's not going to take five more years to do it. But is this going to be the next guy? You know, this is the guy we forget. He's kind of caught in the middle between the Drew Brees and the Tom Brady and the Ben Roethlisberger and the Aaron Rodgers. And then you have the younger guys coming up. It's, it's easy to forget Matt Ryan, but we shouldn't be forgetting him. We shouldn't be overlooking him. He does have that regular season MVP award, and he does have 51,000 rushing yards, and he is putting together a Hall of Fame resume. Yeah, he is. And, you know, listen, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I've kind of hated on him at certain points of my career because of, like, kind of what you're saying. There's a lack of sex appeal or showmanship with his game, right, a little bit. And he doesn't necessarily have some of those marquee, you know, late season playoff game, comeback, heroic type moments. But, you know, and I, I do, I think you pose a good question as far as how much longer will he be in the upper echelons of, Here of, we go. Uh, of quarterbacks? Okay. And that would be a good question because, yeah, I do think the physical skills are starting to go down a little bit. And I don't think they were that great to where it's like Aaron Rodgers, where I expect him to stay at a high level for next three or four years still. So I think that is something to watch out for. You know, arm strength is not one of his fortes. I don't sit here and go, oh, look at these lasers Matt Ryan's throwing. No, he's got a good arm where he's really smart, dissects defenses, has a great feel of when to throw a ball into a, a, a zone hole coverage, you know, and a hole in the coverage or when to let the ball early or hold on to it a little longer and let the pocket collapse and then get it out. I mean, he really understands how to play the position. He's played a lot of football in his career, of course, and played a lot in college. But uh, I, I do think he's one to keep kind of an eye on, Mike, because I do think the skills could kind of diminish here in the next few years. And started from the commencement of his career. It was he and Joe Flacco both starting his first-round picks in 2008 that really flipped the trend toward getting guys right. on the field from the moment they're drafted. Let's go back to 2008. Matt Ryan, deja vu, then a rookie with the Atlanta Falcons, trailing the Chicago Bears and Kyle Orton. Kyle Orton was the quarterback that day. And let's see what Matt Ryan, number seven at the top. Okay, so the Falcons are up 19-13. to 13. The Falcons are ahead, 
and Matt Ryan looking on, and Kyle Orton throws the touchdown pass to Rasheed Davis. I like the white-on-white Bears uniforms. There's the uh, touchdown catch by Rasheed Davis, and the Bears take the lead 20-19. to uh, nice, little, uh, nice little catch there by Rasheed Davis. Very nice. Very, I mean, very nice catch. I mean, that really was, but... I mean, I would think Matt Ryan's going to answer back here. That's my buddy Kyle Orton, who I played with in Denver. I, I've seen that those theatrics before. But I think, like, the one thing we're going to show here and we're pointing out is with, like, Matt Ryan, from day one, it was like he threw a 60-yard something touchdown pass, his first ever throw in the NFL. But look at this. Deep out route, clock running down. From day one, it was kind of like, hey, Matt Ryan, we need you to play awesome. And we can't like put the training wheels on you. And he's done a pretty awesome job ever since that point of making them relevant and making a lot of these big time throws. The kickoff return put them in position, but still Ryan had to make that throw with only six seconds left. And there it was the catch and out of bounds and one tick on the clock. Jason Elam kicks the 48 yarder. Uh, we saw Arthur Blank distraught earlier. I have a feeling he was quite pleased with the outcome of this one, and that's Matt Ryan in his first season. They went to the playoffs in 2008. If I recall correctly, they beat the Vikings in the wild card round, and the playoff run petered out against Arizona, I think. No, Philadelphia, I think, is who beat Atlanta. We may have to check that, but that was his rookie year. Postseason, great accomplishments. You know, they had that stretch, and they fell right into it in Super Bowl 51 where they just blew leads in the postseason. Remember, they'd have a lead and they'd blow the lead. They got blown out by Green Bay in 2010 uh, in Aaron Rodgers' third year as a starter. and They were uh, up 17-0 in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers, remember? Remember that year, Mike, uh, to go to the Super Bowl to play the Ravens? They were up 17-0 in the first half against Jim Harbaugh and the 49ers and Colin Kaepernick and ended up losing that game and blowing a lead, too. So you're right, there's been some... Some underwhelming playoff. That's why I kind of said, like, I don't think he's, you know, he's Hall of Fame material. I don't think he's a shoe-in first ballot Hall of Fame or anything like that at this point of his career just because of some of those lack of playoff wins, marquee playoff moments, losing some games where you felt like, wait, Atlanta was the better team. They shouldn't have lost that. And, yeah, of course, the quarterback gets some of the blame of that. Now, I think Matt Ryan was more dependent on the system at that point of his career than he is now. I think that's where I'm. Ex- that's why I like Matt Ryan. Listen, I think for early part of his career, there's a lot of me that would have been, oh, Matt Ryan's overrated. He's got Julio Jones and all these great receivers and a run game, and the game's just on a silver platter for him. I think the game got harder for him ever since Kyle Shanahan left, and I think he's been more more of a special player ever since Shanahan left on putting pressure on himself to be a $30 million a year quarterback and carry the franchise. And no matter what's going on, I'm going to keep us in this game. And he does that better now to me than he did in 2012, 2013. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. I was misremembering. It was a late regular season Vikings Falcons game that was critical to playoff positioning. The Vikings didn't make it to the playoffs. The Falcons did. Matt Ryan is four and six in the postseason with the Falcons. They lost to the Cardinals in that playoff debut in the wild card round, 30 to 24. Cardinals would go on to the Super Bowl and nearly win it against the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, we're going to take a break. You're going to hear Chris weigh in on Jordan or, or Jordan Minshew's. No, Gardner Minshew's jorts. (laughs) Not Jordan Minshew's Gardner, but Gardner Minshew's jorts. 
And then uh, we're going to have a draft of the best tandems of receivers in the National Football League. More PFT Live right after this. This one, uh, it's, uh, this one comes from Maldonado Chapa, who says, leaving Gardner Minshew's jorts out of the top five best quarterback in shorts, question mark. And five is silent, had a similar comment saying, no issues with the top 40 rankings for Chris, but Gardner Minshew not being in the legs and ass conversation is borderline criminal. Uh, I would take <laughs> I love responsibility it. for that. I was leading the, uh, the best quarterback in shorts conversation, and no, Gardner was not in the top five and quite honestly i will stick with that i will stick with my guns i still right. don't believe that garner Minshew is a top five quarterback in shorts in the nfl i just don't i'm sorry no no i mean not when you like he does have a nice legs and butt he does he's got a little bit more than the normal quarterback but i agree with you he doesn't deserve to be in that conversation now when you add in the george conversation okay <laughs> then you start to go hey there's well he's there's he's only one a, of a one theme. It, he's exactly. one of one, he's like right? he's different he's just cool that way so we should have yeah. brought it up nonetheless uh yeah. but i appreciate those questions and those comments from the homies there that's those are good ones like we always say about the mvp conversation he should have been in the conversation right he, he should have been in the conversation yeah. leaving him out of the conversation was a mistake even though he was not in our top five uh sorry gardner if you're listening Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown has made it all the way to number seven. Six left, two tomorrow, two Wednesday, two Thursday. Chris, unless you are going to stick around until Friday, since it's our last week before a three-week or last day before a three-week hiatus, I I think you should work Friday. Um, no, I don't think so. Sorry, sorry, can't do it, Captain. Don't have the power, but uh, we're still going to get through this top forty. I mean, we're going to get through it all and have it all there. So don't worry, we'll get the mean potatoes. I, I gotta let you I, and Big Cat flirt with each other on Fridays. I, I gotta lay off I just, that. I can't be a third I, I just, wheel. I, I just, I, I, I figure that uh, you know, since we got the three weeks off, you'd like to take it all the way through. You don't want to get out of the car before it's pulled into the garage. You, you get it, you do the job right. Of course, you do it every week. So why three should weeks I think this week in is one day sound better than three weeks? <laughs> That's true for you. For you, it's just twelve days off. For me, it's fifteen. So take that. All right, here's the trivia question. Your friend 
Kurt Warner turns 49 today. Happy birthday, Kurt. Which wide receiver duo did Kurt Warner throw more touchdown passes to, Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt, or Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden? Which of the two? Wow. First off, happy birthday to my Lowe's commercial buddy, okay, Kurt Warner there. Um, but, man, th- I feel like you're, this might be a trick question, but I'm, I'm going to go with Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt, even though I'm a little scared that this is a trick question. It's not a trick question. It's a straight question. You just you you just fell into the trap. It's wow. not the guys that you would think. He was with Fitzgerald and Bolden together uh, long enough to have 66 touchdown passes. Bruce and Holt, it was only 40. And remember the difference with the Rams. They had Marshall Falk. More guys, right? yeah. The Cardinals right. didn't have a guy like that. The ball got spread around more with those Rams teams, the greatest show-offs on turf. With with the Cardinals in 2008, 2007, 2006, and really uh, he made it through the 2009 season. Those guys were both there, and they caught a lot of touchdown passes. All right, we we posed that question because the draft today is best current receiving duos in the NFL. I get the first pick. This is not an easy one to do, but I'm I've got to go with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When you look at what they did last year, even though they had a quarterback who threw 30 interceptions, and now this year with Tom Brady there. You know, Mike Evans, one of the most overlooked players in all of football. Uh, We did a draft on Friday of guys that would benefit from a change of scenery, and maybe Mike Evans should have been on the list, although with Tom Brady in Tampa, he's fine. Yeah, not this year. But we just just don't pay attention to Evans the way we should. He's one of the best receivers in the game, and Chris Godwin uh, stepped up and, and joined that upper echelon of receivers last year, Chris. Yes, they, yes, he did. And it's a special tandem. That would have been my number one pick. You know, I mean, you, every, I, I echo everything you said. I mean, Michael, Mike Evans is special. You know, I go back. There's, there's not a lot of guys on planet Earth that are 6'5", 230, and run 4'3", 7, and then can cut the way he can cut. And then Godwin, as one of the special slot receivers in football, is also rare because He's awesome on the outside, too. So if, like, the Bucks want to play, like, two running backs, one tight end, and two receivers, it's not like Chris Godwin's going to be like, oh, no, I have to play outside. I'm not in the slot. I won't be able to get open. No, he's a threat that way, too. So both guys uh, are really special, I, and I, I think that's why Brady picked them, and uh, it's a good pick by you. Okay, I think – I. You know, hey, one of these guys gets injured a little bit, but I still got to go with Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins as the next best duo. I mean, again, I know that like Sammy Watkins, you can't depend on him to be there for probably six to eight games a year. But when he's in, when he's there, this is I think you could argue this is a more dangerous duo than one of the one we just talked about in Tampa. You know, obviously the production's not there and the health isn't there. But Tyreek Kill to me is still the number one weapon in all of football on the offensive side of the ball. You know, that's not a quarterback. You know, I, I don't think there's anybody that's more of a game changer really on the offensive side of the ball right now than Tyree Kill. The attention he creates, you know, what he can do, not only catching the ball and running deep down the field, but the reverses, the screens, the speed sweeps. And Sammy Watkins, you know, similar in that nature. I mean, they're game breakers. We saw that in the playoffs this year. It's just these are two guys that if they get a step on you, see you, start up the, you know, strike up the band, start playing and, Start playing the music. They're going to score touchdowns. So to me, this is the most dangerous duo in all of football. Maybe not quite as productive as your duo, but more dangerous.
And and the window is closing on that duo this year. You get the feeling that Sammy Watkins will move on after this season. It's the last year of his contract. He took a significant pay cut. He can make a lot of the money back in incentives. But they've got Mecole Hardman coming through the pipeline, and they're, they're just going to have to be careful what they spend on positions other than the quarterback as they get closer and closer to the mega deal that they likely will be signing sooner rather than later with Patrick Mahomes. All right, I'm going to go back to the NFC South, but I'm not going to go to the team that you think I'm going to go to. I'm going to a team where the duo has never even played together on the same team before, but there they are in New Orleans, Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. What an addition Sanders is I mean, Michael Thomas alone is better than 75% of the receiving duos in the NFL, right? I'd take him over two guys any day. You put Michael Thomas with Emmanuel Sanders, that puts them at the top of the heap of the best receiving duos, even though they've never played together at any time in their careers. No, I mean, I hear you. They're on my list. I mean, uh, Michael Thomas, as we know, is, you know, one of the best guys in the game, certainly. Emmanuel Sanders, certainly really good, you know, but I don't know if he's like prime time anymore. I think there's some better duos out there, you know, so that's that's where this is where I win the draft, baby. This is where I do it, where I take over. Go ahead. But go ahead. Yeah, I'm Who you I got? Am, I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, be quiet. Shut up. I'll do my own pick when I'm ready. Here we go. I'm taking I'm taking Jarvis Landry and OBJ. I am for 2020 what season a surprise. right now. Yeah, what baby. a surprise! Hey, there's not a lot of uh, duos out there that both had a thousand yards receiving last year, and either neither one was completely healthy. So yes, even though they haven't been in like the superstar stratosphere as far as like last year was concerned and what they did and Odell. Yeah, he's been dealing with injuries really the last two years. It's been three years since we've seen him be like real special, special. So I think that's coming this year. And I still think these two guys are two of the most physically gifted guys in the sport. Landry and Odell both can do it all. Slot receiver, outside, throw passes, reverse, everything. They block in the run game. Uh, so if I'm a quarterback, this would certainly be one of my favorite duos. And I'd want to play, play with them any day. All right, now it gets very interesting for the next duo. Boy, do I do I make my draft a clean sweep of the NFC South? Do I dare do that and go Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley? I'm looking <laughs> around. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm. I. You know what? I. Mm, uh. I, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You know. Chicken. You chicken. No. 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 Because DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald are teammates now. And even though Fitzgerald is far close to the end in the beginning, he is still a great receiver, and he's going to be even better now that he's never going to have to worry about being double teamed because they're going to be draping themselves all over DeAndre Hopkins to try to slow him down. Larry Fitzgerald, who is in position to make a final assault on the all-time records for mainly yardage and catches, uh, catches more than anything else, I think, is the one he's in best position to get. He's going to have a chance this year because they're going to be obsessed when they face the Cardinals with stopping DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I, I would I would think that Larry Fitz's stats certainly aren't going to be hurting because of the DeAndre Hopkins factor. You know, yeah, Larry Fitzgerald, still really good. You know, we know that. You know, game breaker, no, but has value as far as size, jump ball, can still play in the slot. And Hopkins, uh, for my money, arguably is the best receiver in football right there with Tyree Kill. I think I would probably put Tyree Kill 
one, DeAndre Hopkins, number two right now in the NFL, just from what we've seen the last two years. So I get you there, Mike. You know, you're going with a proven guy and somebody that's old. I'm going to go a little bit of a proven guy with somebody that, yeah, we haven't even seen on the field yet. I'm going Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb, all right? That's it. Yeah, I don't care that I haven't seen it happen yet. Wow. I think C.D. Wow. Lamb is one of the, was the best receiver in the draft. I think he's made for the NFL. Of course, I think Amari Cooper is special, explosive, deep balls, great route runner. I'm calling that to be one of the best duos in football for this year uh, because I'm, I think both those guys are ballers. Wow. That's gutsy. Wow. A guy who's never played in the NFL. We have no idea what he's going to do. How many first-round receivers have been flat-out busts? Now, I look, know. Lamb, Lamb shouldn't have been on the board when he was, and it was an easy call for the Cowboys. It was kind of that same Randy Moss slide from 1998. But still, I'm always leery about a completely unproven guy because there's a ceiling. There's a ceiling. And you never know where that ceiling is going to be over a given player, especially at the receiver position. All right, let's do another round to wrap the show. We're going to take a break. And then before we close up shop for this Monday, we'll have another round of the best receiving tandems in the NFL right now. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. All right, let's do one more round real quick of the best current receiving duos. Uh, we still have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley on the board, but, but I have two teams from the NFC South already. I'm going to the AFC West, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Oh, that's a good one. They were on my list, too. Yeah, awesome. I mean, you got size, and then you got a route running extraordinaire, you know, and those two. So, wow. I didn't think you were going to leave. I got to go Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley then. I do. I just didn't think you were going to leave them there. He totally shocked me. Uh, I thought you were going to pick them, and then I was probably – I think I was going to go, like, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods as my next pick. But Julio Jones, still one of the five best receivers in football. Calvin Ridley – awesome can do it all would we like to see a little bit more superstardom out of him certainly yes uh but i think he is the next guy to take over for julio there and be that go-to guy for matt ryan but i think that's a dangerous duo a lot of good duos in football and we're not even including some of these tight ends that are out there too mike and and everyone on my list made it to the draft except one dk metcalf and tyler lockett that's the one i had nine and that's the one that didn't make it but that's one to keep an eye on as metcalf continues to improve and Lockett, one of the underrated receivers in the nfl all right we're going to take a quick break and wrap up this monday edition of pro football talk live with some jamal adams news right after this hey what's up bro Hey, you coming to Dallas? Hey, man, I'm trying, bro. All right. Jamal Adams, you never know when you're going to encounter a citizen journalist talking to a guy who captured the video and put it on social media. Adams was asked, are you coming to Dallas? He said, I'm trying to, bro. Hey, look, it's about time for me to uh, think about trading in my truck. I like that Mercedes that he was driving, the G-Wagon. That is a nice ride uh, and uh, probably, probably more than I would want to spend because those are not cheap, but it's not going to be cheap to get Jamal Adams. Chris, there are eight teams that he's told the Jets he's interested in playing for, but it's clear he wants to play for the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems that way. I, I, you know, yeah, things went off the rails this past few days with Jamal Adams and the New York Jets to where he seems like he's given up. It's over. He doesn't want to deal with it anymore. Man, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, I don't know if they can afford a guy like Jamal Adams right now. 
you know, I know that he's saying he'll go there and he won't ask for, you know, a new contract. Well, eventually he's going to ask for it. And what's Dallas going to have to give up to get Jamal Adams? Jamal Adams, without a doubt, is the best safety in football for my money. I mean, he is amazing. He is a hell of a player. The Jets shouldn't let him out the door. The only thing I'll say, Mike, too, is like where I want to say to Jamal Adams, and you correct me if I'm wrong here. I just want to go. I don't see contract extensions and negotiations are not at a strong point in the NFL right now. You know, we don't know where anything's going. So I guess I just feel like maybe his expectations are a little too high with this right now in the in the current circumstances. Well, and, you know, the, the other reality is he's under contract for two more years, but we've seen players take that stand like Antonio Brown and Jalen Ramsey. And the other thing, too, is this. If the Cowboys or anyone else trades for this guy, don't wait to do the the contract. you got to do it on the way in the door. Right. Look at what happened to the Texans with Laramie Tunsil. Look at what's going to happen to the Rams with Jalen Ramsey. you got to get that deal done when you do the trade so you don't have that. He's got more leverage, Chris, if you wait to do the deal later. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I get that. And uh, I wouldn't mess with that because he's a really good player. And we'll see We're you done. tomorrow. Everybody have a great day. See you tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.